0: Lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the
1: Bible. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris. I'm your We got more chickens. That was sudden. Yeah. We're up to 13 now. So we were down to three beginning of summer. Our girls are getting older. And, you know, we have the chicken conversation I'm sure that most people have. What are we going to do? Do we just let these ones ride out? Uh, Do we get baby ones? Do we buy chickens that are already, like, close to laying? That's why we have them. It's for the eggs. It's for that purpose. I mean, they're cool to have, but they're also a good garbage disposal.
0: Hmm.
1: They almost eat anything that we don't eat. So we were just in this conundrum of what to do, and then we saw a lady was selling. What was it? Four more, and we thought, okay, that would be great because introducing chickens is a—it's a thing. Uh, the pecking order is real, so you have to do it right. So we had three. Uh, they brought four, and so they wouldn't really fight each other too much. You know, there wouldn't be that much. You having balance.
2: gang wars in your backyard? Oh,
1: it's it's horrible. <laughs> there's there's blood. It's 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 pretty bad. Uh, so we. We got them. And so now we're up to seven. And we're like, okay, this is cool. And then a friend of ours uh, was getting rid of her chickens. So we were like, yeah, we'll take them. And she had six and they were beautiful chickens. I mean, our original chickens, they're like uh, half breeds of other chickens. And they just look like, I always call them my street chickens. uh, And I wanted the pretty ones, you know, like one of them has poofy hair on her head. It looks like it's a little like like a little fro thing on her head, and it's super cute. And then the other ones are just pretty colors, and they lay the blue eggs and everything, and just great chickens. So we took them, and, uh, oh, yesterday was the gang war because, yeah, it was like the first day they were all together during the daytime, and, oh, it was, it was bad. But, uh, yeah, we got new chickens, so now we're up to 13. We went from 3 to 7 to 13 within a month's time. My mind is <laughs> so stupid he's talking about chicken gang wars <laughs> just cluck cluck fool
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing i could think the entire yeah, yeah, time yeah. you were telling him that. that's good so cluck, you got cluck. you got chickens yeah cluck cluck fool <laughs> uh
1: <laughs> so we got some more oh man i'm gonna have to use that uh that's great but yeah we got some more the coop is being settled it's it's rolling in there Um, And I think they're adjusting to each other. Bear's happy. He has more things to chase around in the backyard. Um, But he's good. He's really great with them. He actually doesn't try to attack them or eat them. And for the most part, he's getting them out of places that I don't want them to be in, like the garden. But yeah, that's what's happening on the farm. Anyways, Philemon. (laughs) Yeah. What a segue. What a segue. You know, last week I didn't catch it until uh, I was editing. Is that you called him a Pokemon? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even catch that. <laughs> I, was, I was too busy making my Jamaican horrible joke that I didn't catch the, the Pokemon reference there. And I really like that. That was funny. Uh, but we're in Philemon. I guess to summarize it, when we look at this book, it's uh, Paul was a prisoner. He shared the gospel with a runaway slave named Onesimus. Sometime after that, Onesimus became a Christian and a friend of Paul. And then Paul sent him back to his master, who is Philemon asking Philemon to welcome him back as a brother in Christ. Uh, and then we see this letter, how it illustrates uh, the good news about Jesus, that it breaks down barriers, it transforms relationships, and unites all believers into the family of God. So that's kind of just a quick overview of the book. I mean, we could call it a podcast there, but I'm sure yeah, we have other stuff to, t- <laughs> to talk about. I'm not going to call it a night. Oh, you're, you're down to? Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. I mean, after all
2: of our other... All right, ab- I am Chris. <laughs> all of our recent podcasts yeah, going for so long, people are like, oh, cool.
1: Yeah. Short five-minute one. Good overview.
2: Yeah. I know that we had those questions that we talked about last time, which I feel like we hit all of those, talking about where and when, how does it tackle slavery, who are these people, what about reconciliation, and then how does that show us the gospel, but all that was a bit more into the study time of things. Yeah. So with us kind of breaking it down a bit more and really looking at it, trying to pull out some practicalities and just some more uh, personal thoughts that maybe, how, how do you say it? I always hear people talk about like, oh, spiritualizing it. You know, like there's the real historical way of reading it. And then there's the spiritualized way. And it's just like, no, I think that's the purpose of scripture is that you're supposed to chew on it. And it's like, it definitely happened how it happened or however the author intended. But
1: then yes, think about it. How does this apply to your life? So Yeah, because obviously the author was trying to drive a point. Yeah. Like we looked at it, Philemon was, uh, it wasn't just sent to Philemon. It wasn't like in a personal letter that was just sent to Philemon and given to him only. Like it was written to him, there's other people addressed to it. And clearly it became a, a letter that was read around the churches that it now became part of our canon. So, like, there was a point behind what Paul was saying in his personal letter to Philemon that, yeah, we can then look at it and say, well, what's that point saying to me today? Yeah, getting into this, um, where do you want to start? At the beginning? At the end? Yeah, can I start with a point that I see? Yeah. All right. Uh, our standing in heaven should always surpass our position in life. That's was good. <laughs> uh, and really, I'm looking at it, and we talked about it last week, uh, or the last episode, but I'm really looking at Paul in this part right here. Uh, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, that's verse 1, verse 9, yet. I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as uh, none other than Paul, an old man, now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I would like to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping with me while I am in chains for the gospel. And then verse 23, Epapyrus, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends you greeting. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, what was Paul's boast? It, It wasn't in the stuff he had. It wasn't in life in general, like what's going on in life. It wasn't in his job, his social status. It wasn't Christ. I am a, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am a prisoner for the gospel in Christ Jesus. It, it was, everything was about Jesus. Where he was wasn't an important part of his life or wasn't important. It was uh, whose he was that was important to him. And, and I really just enjoyed that a lot from looking at that verse. He writes it in a few other books, but this one, it just stood out because of the four times he's like, I'm in prison, I'm in prison, I'm in prison. And probably trying to get a point to like Philemon of like softening his heart. But it, it just seems that Paul's life, what was important really wasn't circumstantial. It was where he was with in his relationship with God. Yeah, and I think that we talked about that
2: before, the concept of being a prisoner or a bondservant and choosing to really serve Jesus and what that means. But yeah, to bring that out as a kind of more of a teaching point or uh, a meaty point to chew on, it's so worldview changing for our lives as Christians. Because if you take on that perspective that, well, what is this life about? Like who am I and what am I about in this life? And it's just if one of your primary identifiers is I'm a prisoner of Christ, I'm a slave to Christ, I'm choosing to just give him my life, then yeah, it really does make the the circumstance isn't the important thing. The circumstance isn't what I'm going for. Because if I'm all about my prosperity or my happiness or my my anything then it's like, then I'm concerned about mine. But if I'm a servant to Christ, then I'm concerned about his. Now, we have a good master in Christ, which means that we can devote ourselves to him and he will, you know, bring blessing into our life. But like you were saying with Paul, he'll also allow us to go through things. Mm-hmm. I mean, Paul on that one list, when he's like, man, how many times I've been beat? How many times I've been shipwrecked? How many times? Yeah. Like all this stuff. And it's just He's like, but it's all worth it, you know, for any of the, The times that I'm sharing in the sufferings of Christ, I know that I'm sharing in the glory of Christ and that I'll share in that future glory. And I think that that perspective shift isn't one, from my experience, isn't something that experientially is really taught in the American or Western church, because we are all about like, hey, freedom. And our whole thing is like, no, even taxation without representation, right? And it's just like, no, we we establish ourselves and we have this whole thing. And just to come from a point like, well, no, to choose to be a prisoner, to choose to be a servant to someone, really, in America, Christianity is the closest that you could get. But it's not like we have a real life experience to that. So where he's saying, hey, I'm a prisoner or I'm a bond servant. And then you're tying that into the thing of Philemon being about slavery. And like, you know, bringing that in is just like, And what we talked about in the previous episode is that was a really big point and a world point that they all knew about. Now, today we still talk about American slavery, but we're talking about like the repercussions and wanting to have like recompense and stuff for it. It's not like an active, ongoing
1: thing, depending on how you view what slavery is today. Right. What I liked about this is that it was uh, that he belonged to Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's all that mattered. Mm -hmm. And I feel like like you were saying, like, we have a hard detachment from that. Because it is so much easier to depend or say that I also then have all these things. Like it's in other places where all they have is God and that's really what they look for for Mm -hmm. sustaining them. You know, I know what I'm going to go home and eat. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about the basic necessities of life. Give us this day, our daily bread, is a highly spiritualized word. Ver- yes, <laughs> prayer, yes. Right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, then I also have my stuff, my toys, the things that I enjoy, and they can be more important than God. Uh, but here, he's just like, I belong to Christ and that's all that matters. I'm, I'm in prison, cool. Uh, but my boast isn't about the stuff I have, or, you know, we were talking about it before the episode of somewhat the prosperity gospel of like, Sometimes see these big time preachers who have a lot of stuff and wear fancy clothes. I mean, if you go on preachers with sneakers, I don't know if it's still as active as it used to be, but you could see, you know, these preachers wearing all these things on there. And it's like, but they have the stuff. Uh, But that wasn't Paul's concern. Like, he didn't care what he had. It was just, I have Christ. For some reason, it just reminded me of Psalms 23. And when David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing.
2: So again, that's that perspective shifting thing. Like if we come to know really what it is to be a prisoner and a, a servant to Christ and really submit into that and see what it is to have that life in him that is willing to lay down our stuff and, you know, to detach from those things and to learn that, wow, I really am lacking nothing in him. Um, it is a, it's a stronghold in the mind, really, what we yeah. have. And that's where I know that there's some fancier way of saying it, but basically what I've experienced and what I think that a lot of us experience in the West is we are a slave to our things. Yeah. We're saying, well, when Paul says I'm a prisoner of Christ, it's like I'm a prisoner to my stuff a lot of the time. Like I can't even get rid of it sometimes. Like I would feel really like I
1: have emotional attachments to it and like, some, oh, I need to keep this thing. It's funny. Yesterday, uh, Reed was in the bath and we have, you know, bath toys and some of them are like little soldier toys that he plays with, like little stormtroopers. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of them is a Wolverine figure that I got for Remy when she was little. Uh, And she used to play with it while she was in the bath. And uh, but, you know, now it's just been a bath toy for Reed. She has probably spent the last five years in her life not even caring about this toy. Reed's dealing with this, like, he's chewing on everything issue right now. It's really weird. He's, like, chewing on his iPad protector. He's chewing on his clothes. He's just chewing on stuff. I don't know if his teeth are falling out or whatever. Um, Anyways. They will be. (laughs) Yeah. But he chewed on Wolverine's claws while he was in the bathtub playing. And Remy saw it, and she, like, came running to uh, me and Justine in the kitchen. like, Reed did this. And then I hear Reed crying, and he's, like, bawling his eyes out. Because he knows, or at least he thinks. He's going to be in trouble. And uh, I said, Remy, well, it's just a toy. Like, it's just a toy. Mm -hmm. It's just stuff. You didn't care about it five years ago, but now you care about it? Like, it's just stuff. That's what it is. Contrary to what uh, people say, these are just things and not collector's items. And she was like, but I said, the important thing is like, your brother's in there crying right now. And I said, the real issue isn't the toys damaged. It's the chewing issue. So we've got to address that. And I said, just like your anxiety, you know, like that's the issue. But the the other things that you do aren't the issue. Like we're trying to address the one thing. And I said, same thing goes for me. Like the issues that I have, like they come out in different forms. Like I do bite my fingers a lot and stuff like that and have tics. And I said, just like mommy does, she has all these things. Like we all have our stuff, right? Um, But like we deal with things. And I said, this is just a toy. It's not that important. But yeah, we could we lock on to certain things, point of the story being, we, we lock on to certain things, and they become such prized possessions, and we sometimes forget that these prized possessions aren't really the thing that's the most important to us, that, that God is.
2: Yeah, and so, not to belabor the point, because this is verse 1, and we'll, we'll get into it, but you said, despite what some people say, these don't need to be collector's items, they're just things. And that's what I'm talking about, that perspective change. Is that the perspective change that can come with realizing I I'm, I'm need to submit myself to Christ and what comes with that? Makes me think of first Corinthians 13 when Paul was saying, like, hey, when I was a kid, I talked like a kid, I acted like a kid, but when I grew up, I had to put that stuff behind me. And it's like, that's what maturing into this relationship looks like. It's like, hey, yeah, honestly, all of us that are maturing in Christ used to find different things important that we should be putting behind us as we mature in Him. Or I think it, um, What book is it that basically talks when he's talking about like being a soldier and not entangling yourself like in civilian affairs?
1: Uh Timothy or Titus, I want to. But you know what I'm talking about. And
2: it's the same kind of thing. Like as a prisoner, as a soldier, as someone who's maturing, it does come with the you need to put aside different things and pick up the cause of Christ. So Second Timothy two. Verses three, four. Join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. A soldier refrains from entangling himself in civilian affairs in order to please the one who enlisted him. And actually goes on to your favorite stuff. Likewise, a competitor does not receive the crown unless he competes according to the rules. Hardworking farmers should be the first to partake of the crops. Consider what I'm saying. The Lord will give you insight.
1: I feel like there was an episode that we did with a guest that he talked about that really, really well. I think it was uh, one of the first few episodes of our Forgotten Book series. Yeah, yeah, with Chris. uh, And he did explain that really, really well, too. And yeah, I I do agree that like, yeah, there's a shift, right? There's a change that does happen. And then we start realizing like, this isn't as important as I thought it was. And it's all, I I feel like the closer you come to know Christ, the less importance the other stuff has. Which I took that to a different thing of like, oh, prisoner and like what becomes important stuff. And you were
2: just saying like, who you belong to. Mm -hmm. So yeah, to kind of bring that as a
1: overall. I guess what Paul sat at in prison, it was easy to say I'm in here for Christ because if you're like, if this is the God who created everything and he sustains me, holds me, and keeps me, and really uh, the ultimate thing of death he has and and has saved me from, uh, what do I have to worry about? What do I have to fear? Because all these other things aren't going to do it for me, but this, he's going to keep me there. That's why he is, uh, as Jesus even calls himself, the good Shepherd.
2: Right. So within that, the reality of God in the present moment, which is the greatness of the new covenant, right? The Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit being poured out. And Paul, man, he's out there in the power of the Spirit. He's prophesying, speaking in tongues, healing, casting out, like all this stuff, right? And he's just like, no, I'm, I'm very much aware that God is real. I'm very much aware that I am in relation with him, that I've been forgiven. I've been redeemed. I've been reconciled, that I am... What do you say like a a late born apostle, you mm-hmm. know, like hardly even deserving, but God is using me, and
1: just like, hey, if this is what comes along with it, I'm not gonna doubt that, yeah, and I think when we're we're close to that relationship with God like that, right, and we're in there and and it's just like you know i I'm pursuing and getting closer into this relationship, I know who he is more, my mind's expanding on who God is, uh, it allows us to see his plan and purpose better. Mm-hmm. And like for Paul, it was like uh, his plan and purpose for him was just sharing this faith, and he shared it everywhere, whether he was in prison, whether he wasn't in prison, whether he was shipwrecked in the ocean, a snake just bit him. Like he was sharing his faith everywhere. And, and from just the look of Philemon, you can see the lives changed from this letter. Like you have uh, Philemon, his life was changed by Paul because Paul uh, share the gospel with him. And so he came to faith. Onesimus, because of his encounter with Paul, went from being useless to useful. And then as we discovered last week, even a bishop within the church, if Aphia was Philemon's wife, then that family and, and Archippus, the same thing, was saved. Everyone who met at the house of Philemon, their, their lives were changed because uh, Paul was, wasn't missing out on God's plan and purpose. Uh, he was actively sharing his faith with people. All
2: right. Let's move on from Paul, and really, for me, looking at Philemon. um, I know last time we kind of talked about, man, Paul is laying it on a little thick here. But looking at verses 4 through 7, when Paul says, I always thank my God, remembering you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that your partnership in the faith may become effective as you fully acknowledge every good thing that is ours in Christ. I take great joy and encouragement in your love because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. He might have been choosing, again, to really place words carefully in this, but I don't think he was lying or exaggerating or flattering. I really think that this speaks of Philemon's character. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But here, just what a good, what's the word I'm looking for? Witness, testimony. Yeah, witness, testimony, reputation. Mm Mm-hmm. That to have as a Christian. Yeah. They really, this is one of those like looking in the mirror type things for me. Like, all right, well, one, I always look at it from both points of view. It's like from Paul's point of view, like, am I thanking God and remembering people in my prayers? Mm. You know, but then when, like, well, why is Paul even doing that? Because of his faith in the Lord Jesus and his love for the saints. And I'm like, man am I living that kind of life on loving on other people? Not that I'm doing it so that people will be thanking God for my presence, but you know that that really is just our duty and our privilege to be loving on people. So just going through it, it's really a mirror type situation for me mm-hmm. like man to be spoken of so well. And it's one of those, um, modeling type things. So I was like, Hey, follow me as I follow Christ. And to just have this kind of reputation is something I strive for.
1: Yeah. I wrote this down when I started prepping for Philemon, that Christianity can't just be a title. It must be our testimony. Mm-hmm. And that's what I got from this is like you were saying, you're like, yeah, maybe he was laying on a little heavy and a little thick, but it wasn't a lie. Right. It was the truth. He was like, I hear about your love for all his holy people. Uh, and that's, like you said, like, man, what a check for us because do I love all of God's holy people? You, you know, like. Some people I like, some people are really (laughs) annoying, Uh, you know, and and again, maybe I'm a skewed version of of Philemon because uh, me being more of an introvert and actually uh, a person who would say like, I generally, people are a nuisance to me. I don't have these characteristics that he has, but yeah, he's like, he loves all of God's people. And and then what is it? I, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective. Like he's a partner in the faith. He's not just someone who shows up to church on Sunday and then walks out before the last song or uh, as soon as the message is over. He's someone who's partnering with the body, who's in the body, helping, sustaining, uh, meeting needs of the body. So he's a partner, not a... What are those fish called? That they, they attach themselves to the other fish and they just parasite, basically. It's yeah. not a parasite fish, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, the, the ones you put in the tank and they, they clean up the tank because they're the just... little sucker fish. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they're just, they're, they're, they're just that. They're just sucking the life from everything else. They're not really participating. They're not in. But he's like, you're a partner. You're there with us. And that your love has given me great joy. Like you said, like, man, I want to be an encouragement to somebody. When I walk out of the room, I want people to say, that was an encouraging conversation. Now, I know myself, unfortunately, that's probably not the majority of the time, but I want that. Like, I want to aspire for that. um, And that, like, he refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Like, that's the summation of that. And I really just think that, yeah, Christianity has to go beyond title. We just can't proclaim we're a Christian and not live it out. Like, uh, I I really thought of um, The Office, Michael Scott, when he was like, I declare bankruptcy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I declare bankruptcy. Oscar's like, that's not how it works. That's, that's, you know, I feel like we do I that. I declare stuff. I'm Christian. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I feel like we walk into the church and we're like, I said the prayer. I declare I'm Christian. And it's like, but are you? Because with it comes so much more than just a title. So we have to live it. We have to act it out. We have to be representatives of who Christ is. Like you said, uh model Paul as as I reflect Christ, you know, like as Paul said. Um, but yeah, you know, Philemon here, this this wasn't just buttering up. It was like, This is who you are. And it was a reminder to Philemon about who he was. And I think sometimes it's a good check for us to kind of see like, am I just saying I'm a Christian or am I living this out? In that too, in verse
2: six, when it says, I pray that your partnership in the faith may become effective as you fully acknowledge every good thing that is ours in Christ. Going back to the thing of Paul, the main point that you were saying, like, who's is he? He's Christ. He's sitting here in prison, saying, "Hey, acknowledge every good thing that is ours in Christ." But then, in doing so, really looking at the grace. So that was verse three, right? Grace and peace to you from God. Mm-hmm. That it's coming from God and that salvation is the gift, and it's all by grace, right? And when you're receiving these things, and when within Christ, it really is like, hey, these things are for you. They're available for you in Christ. Like a good father, like God is just wanting to provide for you these things and to grow you up into this way, but that it's in doing so, you become effective. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of times for me, it's like, oh man, I need to become effective so that I can like have the good things in Christ, but it's the other way around. It's really by the power of the spirit in relationship with Christ. Going back to when Jesus um in John is talking like, "Hey, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The fruit comes from there. Stay connected with me." It's the same kind of thing. It's just like in Christ you get connected with him, and you get connected with the goodness, and then fruit starts coming. You become effective in the things. And it's just such a thing there that it's a teaching point for as much as it is also, hey, you're doing a really good job, and I'm just so thankful for you, and you're a loving guy, and you've refreshed the hearts of the saint. Like, I'm glad that you're there with the church there. But he's also like, there's good things in Christ that you can take on to, and you're going to become more effective. It's the encouragement for future growth. It's not all just, hey, good job, you
1: know? Yeah. Really, what, it, what I see here, too, is like, he helps people know God better. Mm-hmm. Like through his walk and his relationship, like the effectiveness he has now is that he helps people uh, know God better. And I, I feel like that's something that we should all be striving for with our daily life and our purpose is uh, how does my interaction with somebody help them know God better? Uh, if, if, if that's not my goal, then what am I doing? In that this
2: interaction should be love them. Yeah. Right. And that's what he's saying. You've refreshed the hearts. How? Because I'm taking encouragement in your love and Jesus all the time. Right. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy. Pray for them. Bless them. Right. And it's in these interactions when we're striving to be this type of person, we're striving to be a loving person. Now, just like what we see in Jesus, sometimes that requires telling some hard truths. And we can see Paul having that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, there's truth, but it's truth in love. And that it's really as people experience the love as first John would say, like, hey, how can you say that you know God if you're not going to love the people that are around you? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that it really is the thing of for me when looking in the mirror, it's all about, man, am I loving the people around me in a way that they know that, they're, you know, are they actually experiencing the love? Are they getting a refreshment from my love? Because Man, I know that I'm capable of getting in a mood and just being, I could complain if I wanted to, and I could bring people down, and I, I, I can. I could do that today if I wanted to, but I don't want to.
1: Yeah, yeah I really like that. Um, the, the next thing, guys, as we kind of mold through this letter and this book, so the, the big issue here, like the elephant in the room, is like Onesimus is going back to him, and like he was a slave, and uh, somewhere he had done something wrong to Philemon, right? So uh, one of the big things that I've noticed here is that, uh, as you can see, as Paul's trying to bring them together, is that uh, forgiveness happens when fellowship is a priority. And uh, I looked at verses 8 through 10, and then 16 through 20, it says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains, no longer as a slave, so this is verse 16, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you welcome me. If he has done anything to wrong you or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing with my own hands. I will pay it back not to mention that you owe me your very life. So that's that nice little slick uh, reminder that he throws in there. Um, Not to mention that you owe me your very life. Uh, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefits from you in the Lord. Uh, Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. So uh, really what Paul is driving at is that, um, at least the way I see it, is that forgiveness could only happen when fellowship is a priority in our life. I'm being specific in here that this is forgiveness within fellow believers, like mm-hmm. you and me. Like if you wronged me, uh, the only way I, I, I would make that forgiveness happen in that relationship is that I see our fellowship as more as uh, of a priority than, than that. That is a really good point.
2: And I th- think that it can go over our heads. Because I'm talking about, oh yeah, in fellowship and forgiveness and like, because we know that those things are good and we should go for it. But really in our culture and in our lives, um, for as much as we might say that those things are good or we might say, oh yeah, i forgiven them or whatever. We talked about reconciliation last time and you were talking and you just brought up forgiveness. When we're looking at the point of forgiveness and reconciliation and the importance of that, that we would be reconciled to one another and we'd be reconciled to God and like that that would be solid jesus came and laid his life down like for that express purpose that we would be reconciled to god that there would be forgiveness and then we would be able to experience that not only with god but with each other and when jesus is willing to go and suffer a death on the cross and say like love between each other like love between you and god and between each other is Mm -hmm. that important that i'm willing to die for it that i think that that can go over our heads on just like how much honestly i'm not willing to go to those lengths i can say like oh yeah i'll I'll forgive them or you know it's all good like it's whatever but like no no no. have you truly been reconciled back to where paul is talking you're saying man this guy is dear to my heart like at this point he's writing this letter Onesimus isn't near to Philemon's heart. It's like, yeah. you're the runaway slave that, like, for whatever reason, caused that thing. But on top of that, and we talked last time about the cultural things, about what you could do to a runaway slave. And it's just like, all those pressures and culture or whatever. But then Paul's like, no, no, no. He, like, he's dear to me, but, like, he's dearer to you. Mm-hmm. And just that, no, this really important that forgiveness happens here. And that you come back together as family, like, and come back as brothers
1: and that that's tight. with only 335 words in the Greek. Philemon is Paul's shortest letter. Our Bible places Paul's letters in order from longest to shortest. The prison letters are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Onesimus' name means useful.
0: Useless Bible Useless Bible Bible trivia
1: Philemon's name doesn't appear anywhere else in the New Testament.
0: Useless Useless Bible Bible trivia
1: Philemon's name means affectionate in Greek, or he who shows kindness. Or Mr. Kiss.
0: Useless Bible, Bible trivia.
1: Yeah, I, I like that you brought it back up to the like slave thing, uh, because uh, Philemon had every right to do whatever he wanted with Onesimus. Every right in the world. Yeah, in the world. Yeah, every right in the world. Every Roman law right, yeah, yeah. Uh, because being his master. Uh, and what Paul's saying is like, man, I'm asking you to set that all aside. I'm asking you to set aside your right as a slave owner and receive him back as a brother, like set that all aside. Um, and it, it, yeah, it's just like, when well, my fellowship is a priority. My rights take a back seat and this is what he's hammering in. Paul is reminding Philemon that his identity is in Christ and it's not in culture, like you were saying, mm-hmm. and what the norms of what culture says or what the world says, ethical behavior is okay. Right? Because, uh, this letter is written to us to remind us that we're the church right? The church, the body of Christ, God's people, to love each other in true fellowship. And uh, the gospel is the primary factor that defines who they are and their identities, not that they're slave and master anymore. Mm-hmm. And this is what Paul's telling him. And, and again, going back to like, I know you love all the saints. Here's a new one. And you've got to love him, just like you loved all the other ones. And, and yeah, he did you wrong, but it's time to to put it together, like the culture, even today, culture would tell you it is okay to be angry, to be upset, to want vengeance, to uh, seek uh, some sort of consequence or want something bad to happen to someone who wronged you. But Paul is telling them, no, mm-hmm. like go against the grain of what culture is telling you. Stop seeping into culture. Uh, you said this in the last episode, and I really liked it. You said, if, if you're a slave to Christ, why would you boast? In your rights of the world. And I, I guess said that? Yeah. I guess I had the benefit of editing, so I get to hear all the smart things you say that you forget. I forget everything yeah. I say. That was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that really so was You could just say it back to me. I'm like, dang, Chris had a good one. <laughs> Yeah, so I came up with this point. Um,
2: <laughs> Man, that just sounded really prideful about the things I said. It's really not I'm just I'm more
1: like, whoa, I Yeah, that a he's more shocked than anything. And I think it's so applicable. Um, and really, it's what the church needs to be reminded of is that uh, it's like Colossians 3.11, right? Um, I'll, I'll read it. It says, uh, here there are no Gentiles or Jews, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarians, uh, Scythians, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And uh, yeah, like he's reminding them we're all in Christ. I'm glad that you read it. Some people will just like, hey, it's like this verse.
2: Oh, yeah. As if I should know it. And maybe I should know it. But man, my memory ain't there. So I'm glad for reading it. So yeah. But yeah, really, it is that thing of just like right there in that verse that you said he broke it all down. It's like, look, any of the distinctions that you want to put amongst yourselves that would make you feel higher or above or the different or whatever pit you against somebody else, that's not real anymore. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe in the world, and you said the Roman world or whatever, like maybe that's real for them. But for you in Christ, that's not there. And that's where... I think that verse 8 is so, well, it's verse 8 and 9, but where Paul says, so although in Christ I am bold enough to order you to do what's proper, because he able, he's able to come he's like, in Christ, I do kind of have some authority. I could just tell you to do what you yeah, should I'm do. Yeah, I'm Apostle Paul. Right. Yeah. But he comes in and says, I prefer to appeal on the basis of love. Mm. And when you have that, it's really coming to the thing of, kingdom of christ isn't like the kingdoms of the world to where you have people coming and lording it over others i'm pretty sure jesus said something like that right but you're you come in and really what paul's saying is like i could tell you what to do but you of your own self need to have a change of heart yeah and going back to the thing of like how does the bible really attack slavery and like come against all these things is like look at between that colossians verse that you said it was like flat out there's no difference between you guys And other things are saying, hey, I think it was in Ephesians that you were talking about last time. It's just like, hey, you guys got to treat each other appropriately. Yeah. But then really to come here, just like what really changes it is the heart changing. Because if you come and just tell someone what to do, they might do it. But is the relationship really restored there? But the approach that Paul takes right here, like, hey, for the sake of love, I need you to consider these things and then
1: act upon them appropriately. Mm -hmm. Like that's a transformational moment. Even at the end of it, he's like, I'm confident of your obedience. Mm-hmm. I, I write to you knowing that you'll do even more than I ask. Uh, and I, and I, I think I mentioned it last week where like a, that someone said that uh, Philemon was the purpose for Colossians, like the issues right, that right, were right. happening. And when you look at it, you're like, yeah, there's no Greek, slave or free. Like we are all in Christ. And it's just like we need to be reminded that that's our status, that we are all in Christ. Because when I remember that. I'm in Christ and you're in Christ, well, I remember uh, that I deserved a death penalty, right? Because that before Christ, that's what I deserved. I remember that I needed a mediator to come in. Uh, I needed my debts paid and that we're all equally loved by God. And so then if I remember those things, when it comes to the whatever issue me and you have, I can work on bringing that together in forgiveness because I understand that as a body, we need each other more than than we don't need each other. Um, are you ready to get, like, kicked in the gut? Sure. I got a Vodi Bacham quote, and it, I, when I read it, I was just like, he's Vodi for a reason. Okay, so you read it, and then I'll say his catchphrase afterwards. Right, okay. I, I think he said this in a message. It says, uh, if we refuse to forgive, we have stepped into dangerous waters. First, refusing to forgive is to put ourselves in the place of God, as though vengeance were our prerogative not his. Second, unforgiveness says that God's wrath is insufficient. Uh, For the believer, we are to say that an eternity in hell is not enough. Uh, They need our slap in the face, our cold shoulder, to even the scales of justice. For the believer, we are saying that Christ's humiliation and death on the cross are not enough. In other words, we shake our fist at God saying, your standards may have been satisfied, but my standards are higher. Finally, refusing to forgive is the highest form of arrogance. Here we stand forgiven and we bask in the forgiveness of a perfectly holy and righteous God. We then turn to our brother and say, my sins are forgivable, but not yours. In other words, we act as though the sins of others are too significant to forgive while simultaneously believing that ours are not significant enough to matter. Can't say amen. You better say ouch. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: I'm. That quote right there, because it was also reminded me of what he was saying there, of like us saying, well, we can be forgiven, but you can't. And I have my standards that I'm going to exact on you. Before you read that, I was thinking of the story that Jesus told with the man who's forgiven, right? Oh, yeah. And he's forgiven that huge lump sum of money. He's like, oh, man. And the first thing he goes out and does, he goes and he starts choking out another slave (laughs) saying, hey, man, you better pay me like this chump change. And that's really what it is. Everything that you're talking about, that we deserve the death penalty and we had a debt that needed forgiven and all the things, that that's what God does for us. That's what Vodi was saying in that quote. And that's what Jesus is telling in that story is just the way that we need to view each other. It's like, hey, my primary relationship is between me and the Father. And when I see his mercy and grace and forgiveness upon me, then I need to be able to take what I've received
1: and freely give that to others as well. I I really, uh, <laughs> I laughed because I think of the extreme we as people take things sometimes. Mm-hmm. And we read that story and we're like, dang, that dude went a little too far. You know, he was choking him out and he was all like, cluck, cluck fool. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to make that the title of this episode, cluck, cluck fool. Um, but <laughs> a study in, <laughs> yeah, study in Philemon, cluck, cluck fool, <laughs> um, but like we read that and we're like, dang, that's, that's such an extreme way to take things. But yet we all act that same way in some fashion. Maybe we're not choking someone out, uh, but we can do something shady to them. We can um, start spreading rumors about them. If it's like an office environment or a work environment, you know, you could start um, messing with the things that they enjoy. You know, we all attack. I, like, I think of like when I drive and I'm a horrible driver. I finally admitted it. Um, I'm a great driver. I'm just a horrible person when I drive. Um, like, I do mean things. And it's like, you cut me off? Cool, I'm going to cut you off, box you in, and drive even slower to get you all angry. Um, and, and people would hear that. I'm like, what a jerk. But that, that's me choking out a fool, you know? Like, that's the same thing. Because uh, how dare you do that to me? Don't you know I have the right to drive as fast as I want, and you just slowed me down? You're now infringing on my rights? Yeah, and to bring that to the point
2: that we said earlier about Paul being a prisoner, is like his whole focus and worldview and perspective was, I need to give people the gospel. Yeah. My rights take a second or a third or wherever they are down there. Is it, this guy cut me off? Is that an opportunity to tell him about Jesus, to show him what love and forgiveness looks like? And that's really what it comes down to, just like, oh, man, he did a thing that normally anybody else would respond away. Yeah. But
1: I respond as Christ. It really has been something in my head more uh, as of late is like, how do I address people who have wronged me mm-hmm. and that I feel have slighted me? Is my first response to pray for them? Or, you know, am I like David, like, God, knock out their teeth and stuff like that? Um, I feel like there's a level of understanding that comes in when you can prioritize wanting to spread the gospel and being a brother and sister with someone in Christ over being right or wrong. It's just, it changes you. You know, I just, I really think it does. And uh, you know, we could get into it, but it's really like when we do wrong, we have to make it right. You know, when I do something wrong, I have to make it right. When I've been wronged, you know, I, I need to let it go in a sense if the other person hasn't come to offer forgiveness or, or say they're sorry. Um, you sent me that thing and I thought it was really cool from Biola. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like it's put an it area in the show, notes. put it in the show notes. I feel like it's an area that people struggle with is that like uh, the letting go part. It, it's how do I then like someone wronged me like what was Philemon doing all this time where Onesimus was out gallivanting in Rome with Paul? We don't know. We don't know. Uh, but I could, I could assume that he there is a part in his heart that had let it go. And in the article, it says it's called the pardon philosophy, mm-hmm. right? So uh, the pardon idea that allows us to set aside the injuries and bitterness, our rights that the world says we have. Like I said earlier, the, the world says we have all right to be angry and bitter at someone who hurts us uh, into God's hand. The pardon doesn't advance the relationship, but it allows us to refrain from taking revenge. Uh, pardoning frees us from the burdens, the burden to carry on with the pain that we have. And and I really like that approach when it comes to, you know, we're talking about forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, how do I forgive someone who doesn't, who isn't sorry? I pardon them. I leave it to God and I remove the burden of carrying that heavy weight.
2: So here's some of that paradoxical stuff within christianity because you're talking about a burden right when there's forgiveness that's needed but you're carrying the burden and we're talking we've talked about all this stuff about slavery and then even being a prisoner a slave to christ and you said a little bit ago that we might not be choking someone out but all of those ways that we could interact with them mm-hmm. cutting them off box them off or you know you're working whatever it is it's like really to bring it To Jesus' standards was if we're a prisoner to him, a slave to him, his standard sermon on the mount is don't be angry with them in your heart. Or you can be angry, but sin not, right? It doesn't mean that you never have the emotion of anger, but it, it comes under the right control. But when you have this thing of, it seems like when we're looking at this burden, right? And this is the paradoxical thing of I have every right to be upset, they haven't done the thing to correct the situation or whatever. And it's like, well, you can pardon them. Like you can choose to do that. And that's you getting rid of that burden. But you look at it the other way of just, it seems like being a slave to Jesus and being under such strict rules, like, hey, you can't be angry with them in your heart. It seems like that would be a burden. But yet Jesus says in another place, says, take me on as your teacher because you are already heavily burdened mm-hmm. and i'll give you a light and an easy yoke and i'll teach you my way and it's a humble way right and it's that weird paradoxical thing that it seems like coming under jesus's law it would be putting extra pressure and extra whatever and like man i need to forgive him and all this stuff but like it actually ends up being the light thing to do because holding on to all of that and not forgiving and then if if uh onesimus was to come back and there wasn't the forgiveness and the reconciliation. It's just like the tension between all of that that's happening. is like, that's a real burden. Mm-hmm. To be able to operate in the love of Christ. Again, it's not the thing of Paul saying, hey, I'm bold enough to just order you to do this. It's no, really allowing the love of Christ to come into you and through you. Look at the end result of that. It's so light. It's a restoration of a relationship to where there is no burden between it anymore. I don't know, to me, it's just that, a paradoxical thing that it can seem like especially sermon on the Mount, it becomes so
1: tightened down, but it's actually so freeing. I I feel like, and I don't want to say all the time that we've been wronged, um, because sometimes things are just, they're they're just maliciousness. Mm -hmm. Um, But I want to say a majority of the times someone does something that's an offense to us. The reason we get so upset is because it's not really the injury that they caused, it's the attack on our pride of yep. how dare you do that to me. Yep. And again, I, I want to lay it out that I don't think it's all the time because there are some bad things that happen and people do some horrible Oh, no, things. there is evil and
2: yeah. wickedness in the world and we can't just blame all of them. Like, well, it's yeah. your pride getting attacked. But a lot of times, especially
1: in, again, Western, people who are listening to us, <laughs> like it's probably a lot of pride. When it's the trivial things of life and you get so upset at these trivial things that it, what it is, it's an attack on my pride. It, it's a...
2: I'm going to interject real quick. A lot of people might be listening saying, but my thing isn't trivial. I would say, are you sure? (laughs) Right. Because your pride says
1: that ain't a trivial thing. It's like... "Mm." I don't know if I shared this here before on the podcast, but um, I Justina sent me this video of like, I think it was focused on the family and they're talking about parenting. And uh, they said one of the reasons or one of the things when we discipline our children, usually it's out of anger, but it's not out of anger of what they did wrong. It's out of... uh, what that's now done to me. So they gave the example that dad comes home. He finds out that his two kids uh, have done some, broke something in the house, broke a window. And he comes home and says, How could you do this? I've worked hard all day. Uh, I spent all day at work and my day sucked. I was stuck in traffic and I got to come home to this. Uh, you're grounded. And they're not, he's not addressing the issue of their behavior. Mm-hmm. He's addressing the issue of how he feels. Yep. And a lot of times I think when it comes to forgiving someone else, we're not addressing the issue of what's happened, but how we feel. So we can't bring in that perfect reconciliation. Because to me, reconciliation has to be the central mission of the church. Like whether we're going out with the gospel like Paul was and reconciling those people in, or how Onesimus and Philemon were reconciling to each other and, and coming into a relationship Um, and and fellowship together. Uh, But that should be our central goal. But we can't do that if what's stopping me is me.
2: How are you saying a lot with like the forgiveness? We are so much in our emotions about the thing rather than the thing. And to bring it back to the thing that happened, if you're able to bring back to this happened at a point in time between me and this person, and you're able to bring it to that, and then at the very minimum with that, bring in the pardoning. Mm-hmm. Right, because if they haven't come and there hasn't been a repentance and a forgiveness and a reconciliation, but at least with the pardoning, you're saying, "All right, God, I'm, I'm holding a burden. I'm holding a burden of hurt and of bitterness, and that's what's there. I need to give that. Like I need to pardon this person for that happening, because then with your pardon, you get rid of that hurt and you get rid of those, and it helps with those emotions and everything. Then when you see the person. The relationship's actually open for the reconciliation. Yeah. You know, and what happens is when you forgive someone, they no longer owe you anything. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. If If debt is forgiven, then you don't go up as like, hey, man, you know that 20 bucks? Don't worry about it. And next time I see you, like, hey, where's my money? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, That's not how it works. So if you're looking towards reconciliation, you're able to get that parting as, hey, I'm going to pardon the offense. Then when you see them, you're not going to bring up the offense. It's already been pardoned. Now, in order to have a good reconciliation, there needs to be, you know, the love coming back in and the repentance and everything. But, yeah, I think it really is a big point. And going back to we've been talking about this for quite a bit now in this episode. And if I was listening to us, I might be agreeing with us. But I know myself that I would not take it that you just said it's a central point of the church of to go out and bring reconciliation. Honestly. Which is like I don't know, for me to think about different people in my life and not that I'm sitting here saying that I'm actively holding things against people or anything, but to really take reconciliation seriously to even the small offenses that people might have against me or I have against them or whatever, that it's easier to just like, well, it's been this many years, or it's been this or it's been that, and it's not that important, and yeah, you know, we're kinda over it and whatever. But like, no, it's still an outstanding debt. Like, am I really gonna take it seriously? I think that from for me, and if anyone's like me, it's like, probably not. I'm going to hear it say, oh, yeah, it would be good, and maybe have that big person that I'm thinking about, but not really bring it to the point of like, no, it
1: it needs to be a very thorough thing. Yeah, I I think we get to that point when grace becomes our second nature, Mm. and it fills our lives. You said it earlier that verse 3 was uh, grace be with you, Mm -hmm. and then the end of it is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I love Paul's letters because the majority of them are, they begin and end with grace. You know, it's like he's so filled with grace. His letters are filled with grace uh, that even as he's writing on subjects that could be taboo or uh, difficult to handle or even something that's just against the grain of culture, um, they're written with God's grace. And we can reconcile and, and get to that point when our second nature is just we are filled with God's grace. We understand where I come from, where, what I deserve, uh, but grace of God, because I, I receive God's grace so much that it's now overflowing out of me that I can, I can make amends with someone after years of, you know, for example, pardoning uh, their sin and then, them, like you're saying, them coming up to me and being like, hey, let's, let's do this. Let's now reconcile this relationship because I could extend the grace. Grace isn't, And Paul says it. it isn't a get out of jail free card, you know, that you could just go and do whatever you want and hurt people. And someone always has to forgive you. But when I apply grace to my life, someone can go out and hurt me and I can forgive them. You know, I don't know if that makes complete sense, um, but that's just the way I I see it. Um, I I really like this. I, I actually stole this from one of my favorite guests, Chris Brown. And uh, he said this, true Christianity will be seen when we love those who have wronged us and those who are different from us. And I I really like the way he sums that up that, yeah, true Christianity is in the love, right? This, This book is just like about love and the basis of love, your love, this love, that love. Yeah, when he's like, hey, you're
2: a really loving guy and you love everyone. Here's a situation where you might not love this guy. Yeah. I need to direct you on what
1: love looks like in this Mm -hmm. situation. And what separates us then, you know, if we're talking about fellowship and the fellowship is, what's that fancy word for fellowship? Koinonia? Yeah, if we're talking about that cool word that has such a depth and a meaning to it and the church being the model of it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. we're not the model of it if we don't love those who have wronged us. We're not the. If you ex- l- only love those who have loved you, how are you any different than the world? Exactly, and, and those who are different than us. So, uh, you know, to me, uh, this is a radical book. It's it's radical. The but the gospel of Christ is radical, right? The message of Christ is a radical message. Um, I got one last quote, and then uh, I'm done, and you can say whatever you want to wrap up the show. Do it. Uh, so I went to Volody. Right? And now I'm going to go to Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Oh, yeah. I-, I wasn't playing with this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, he said, the world is overcome not through destruction. So he's talking about the world in general, um, not like the world as far as like the world, flesh, mm. all that stuff. Uh, the world is not overcome through, the, through destruction, but through reconciliation. Not ideals, not, nor programs, nor conscious, nor duty, nor responsibility, nor virtue but only God's perfect love can encounter uh, reality and overcome it. Nor is it some universal idea of love, but rather the love of God in Christ Jesus, a love genuinely lived, that does this. When you think of reconciliation, and we're like talking about the world at large, um, and, and I know a lot of people today are worried about where our world is going and where things are headed in this and that, um, and that we need to win back, at least for being in America, win back our country for God. Um, it's not going to come from your nasty tweets, Facebook posts, or Instagram stuff, or picketing, or all the other stuff. It's going to come through reconciliation, bringing them back in, getting the captives back. Can you reconcile with
2: someone that you don't talk to?
1: No, you're just talking about all the picketing and
2: the yelling and the stuff. It's just like, I'm going to stay in my camp,
1: and like, yeah. you need to know what's up, But it's just like, but did you ever actually listen did to them? Did you have a conversation with yeah. them? Yeah. And you can't, the answer probably then is obviously no. You can't reconcile with someone who you're not conversating with, right? Uh, but I, I love this at the end of it. It's like, it's not this universal idea of love, but rather the love of God, a genuinely lived love, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. What we've been talking about. Philemon, genuinely lived love. Uh, that's what does this. That's why I'm pretty sure we don't know what happens. We've got, like, Onesimus becomes a bishop. Uh, Paul knew what happened. Confident of
2: your obedience. Yeah. You're going to do more.
1: As far as we know, that's where the story ends. Uh, but I'm I'm more than sure, because Paul was more than sure, that reconciliation happened between the two of them. And he was like, yeah, you're my brother, and I'm going to love you. Mm-hmm. I like that quote. And yeah, really, the genuine love being
2: lived, which we know that's going to look like Christ, right? And everything coming from that. Um, I need to release this from my ADD brain before we before I have kind of my last thought. When you're talking about no uh, no light fluffy quotes, my brain is like, "No, Joel Osteen, come on, <laughs> I'm gonna go to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the guy yeah. that fought the Nazis." Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I love Bonhoeffer.
1: That's always the good way to sum him up. Like, who's Bonhoeffer? He's the guy who fought the
2: Nazis. Like yeah. literally, yeah, was gonna yeah, literally. kill yeah. Hitler. Um. Anyways, all right, come back, come back, come back. This letter being largely about slavery and going to the point of, we really addressed slavery in the last episode, but to bring it to maybe the point of we talked about a lot of different things, but like, man, not really addressing slavery. And I know that for a lot of people in America, at least, I won't say Western Christianity because different countries have their own things going on. Slavery has been everywhere, like we talked about, but America definitely has a thing with slavery and and African-Americans and how all of that looked, And in response to so much of that, there is the social justice movement that encapsulates some of that as well as some other areas to be seeking justice, right? I think that this book really challenges, one, definitely the idea of slavery and how to treat a slave and what it means that, hey, we're all brothers, Right. And we talked last time that the Bible is very much against like kidnap slavery and all Mm -hmm. this stuff. And this book is addressing something different and how we're to manage it. So people could probably read this book and be like, see, it's against slavery. It's forced. Like whatever argument you want to make about slavery and then maybe push a social justice type thing that there needs to be. Again, there needs to be this. And here's how we need to make it happen. And I'm going to be the one that's telling you what to do and being more bold than Paul even, where Paul would say, hey, I could tell you what to do, but I'm going to appeal to love. For anybody that's really pushing for like in a social justice type of way, that's really standing on those things of wanting to see justice and wanting to see equity and wanting to see equality and wanting to see things come to be the right thing, I would say, please prefer to appeal on the basis of love. Because maybe you say that you have every right in the world, And for anything that's systemic in this country or that people are being down put and oppression and different things that are happening. And I'm not going to say that that's not happening, right? I'm not saying that there's not real things in this world that need fixed. But how are we going to go about fixing it as the church? Yeah. When you have Paul saying, I am a prisoner for Christ, I'll submit myself to whatever for Christ. Jesus saying, pick up your cross, follow me. The greatest act of love is to lay down your life for another person. Reconciliation is the name of the game for Christians as individuals and for the church as a whole. When we're looking at, man, honestly, I I, I don't know if anybody in America still owns a slave. That would be like a pretty high level human trafficking thing. So yes, it does happen. We're not talking about the slavery that happened here in America, right? So how do we in today's world make right of these burdens, these burdens that people are carrying and these rights that we want to exercise on other people? I think that we need to maybe put aside what our rights and what we would so boldly tell other people what Mm -hmm. they need to do. And we need to come and reconcile with people. So listen and have love and lay aside the rights and find forgiveness and find pardon even if we have every right in the world to be upset i'm kind of bouncing through a few ideas there but really i just want to bring it back to the point of yes this book really covers slavery and i know that that might be a sticking point for people however you want to view it and it's like okay but what do we do today there's not active ongoing slavery in america right now so how are we going to bring it together for these generations that have gone past the church needs to be seeking reconciliation and there's already a movement within the culture that's trying to seek after something and i don't think that you can be a christian that's seeking to exercise those rights and be upset over things and have all that going on as a christian take
1: the teachings of of philemon and put it into practice it's interesting that like everything in culture talks about equality nowadays like everyone has to have equal rights, equal this, equal that. And Paul says we're all equal in Christ. And then when you get put in that situation, the 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 equality changes um, because we do see the depths of ourselves. In Christ, I can't see anything but him. And when I see only him, it changes my whole perspective on what I desire, what I think is right, what I think is wrong, where my placement is. It was like what uh, clement wrote some were going out and becoming slaves yeah to free other people like I, they gave up their rights uh, and and it's, it's it's a contrary statement in our country that uh, we have our rights and we fight for our rights and and the bible saying no again is are those circumstantial things the important thing yeah it's it's like your rights what are they? What are they taking away from you? Can they take away your eternity? Can they separate you? Well, Paul, like the list of what can separate you from the love of God, right? Uh, and at the end of it, he's like, nothing. So what What are they taking away from you? What rights really? They can't take God away from you. They can't take his love away from you. They can't take the fact that eternity is for you and all the benefits that come for it. Uh, but when we get on a kick of, uh, I need justice, I'm demanding justice for things that happened. Um, we're doing what uh, Vodi said, and, and vodi has got some great stuff on social justice. Mm-hmm. Um, we're saying God's wrath isn't sufficient. We're saying God's justice isn't good enough for me. Uh, it, it really is interesting, because the world does counterfeit biblical concepts, justice, equality, but it's counterfeit. It's not God's justice, and anything outside of God's justice is in a sense evil anything that's outside of god's equality isn't real equality uh it's just something's on its tweaked, and you're missing yeah the... you're missing you're missing the the real thing yeah y- you aspire for it and that's where the world they, it's it, you can see it this is why uh this book is so important because reconciliation is th- this world they, they there's a desire to for people to really want to be reconciled um maybe not everyone but their majority of people do uh So we go out there and we show God's love and we show them what reconciliation looks like. We show what giving up our rights looks like. And we show the world this is how fellowship really looks like. This is what a body of united people, a community can come together and what they can accomplish. And then they say, I want in. And then internally, we're doing all those things that we're talking about.
2: But honestly, if you were to come to our church, you can see this in action. Yeah. It's not like a theological point that, oh, that would be really cool and look at what's being laid out there. Like, honestly, at our church, there's all kinds of people all coming together who have, like, you know, and just like, you can experience it at a church. Maybe mm-hmm. if you've had an experience at a church and that wasn't your experience, <laughs> go check out another church because I'm telling you that this isn't the only church that I've been to that I've been able to experience.
1: And this. within the body, um, again, uh, not to go on a weird tangent with anything, but I'm a Hispanic male. You're not. And here we are, two friends doing a podcast. Um, But none of that matters in the scope of Christ, right? Because whether you're this or that, none of it matters. In Christ, you're just his. Mm -hmm. You're his child. And so we can come together as a body and those physical, cultural things uh, get stripped away from us and come in here and say, now we are this. And I'm not saying that you have to rid yourself of culture or the, your, your background or anything because that's the stuff that helps you then reach other people and helps you go into the world and, and, and spread the gospel. But what I am saying is that shouldn't take precedence. It shouldn't take priority. Um, the body should. And that's Philemon.
2: I'm going to say also keep the culture because food is amazing yes food is amazing (laughs) all the culture (laughs) foods that is amazing
1: Uh, yeah what a book though what a great book I really enjoyed it yep Uh, so let's wrap this one up I am Chris I'm Yerdic we are your church friends thanks for listening
0: Habakkuk Neham Obadiah Obadiah. Jude Bilingon Haggai. hagga, aim.